0: We're thankful that we went through that period to understand what we can do um to be honest i'm just crossing my fingers that doesn't happen again but i just i don't know at the moment it seems like queensland is dodging a bullet but i don't think you know it's not that easy to hide at the moment
1: this is the deep in the weeds podcast i'm anthony huckstep the pandemic has affected hospitality workers differently some have had a long break to ponder their return and consider their futures. Others have been busier than ever. With less staff and trying to look after those still employed, they've shifted to various food models to survive, and some operators have been doing things they would have never imagined. Jake Nicholson is the Executive Chef of the Garam Group. Jake, how are you going, mate?
0: Fantastic, thanks. Huck, how are you? I'm
1: good. Mate, you look after a lot of venues, Blackbird and Donna Chang and Bar, Le Bon Ton, uh, Lord of the Wings. Mate, you're a pretty busy guy.
0: I am actually. And uh, yeah, my life got a whole lot busier just recently.
1: Well, you launched four cuisines from the one kitchen for takeaway. I mean, what were you thinking there? How was that?
0: Yeah. So I guess when the pandemic first hit, we sort of sat at home for a couple of weeks while, you know, we let it sort of sink in and then, uh, we sort of came up with the idea to launch a dark kitchen and that dark kitchen really uh, focused on four different cuisines from the one kitchen. So we uh, started to bring the staff in from the other venues and uh, set up all the the delivery and home delivery services. And um, before long we had Blackbird, Donna Chang, Lord of the Wings, and Biblos all uh, out of the one kitchen. So, it had its fair set of challenges to it.
1: How did that? How did you cope with that?
0: Well, people could actually order all four cuisines on the one check. So um, we basically we used base kitchens such as Biblos in Hamilton was preparing all the the Lebanese food, and we would transport that o- over two days a week. Um, Lord of the Wings in Indrapilly was preparing all the the burgers and the wings and stuff for Lord of the Wings, and they would also pick that up. So we basically had. Um, our own transport van, driving around, picking up the food and dropping it off. So the sort of first thing that really, the the biggest challenge really was at the very start, the chefs were sort of texting each other saying, you know, things like, you know, I need some more garlic parmesan or I need some more fried chicken wings or I need some more um, kibi and stuff like that. And so I had to create an online sort of drive where the chefs could communicate to each other and understand like what each other needed to order and things like that so there was a lot of movement around obviously outside of the kitchen but inside of the kitchen i just sort of created four separate areas where um each one of the cuisines were were taken care of there so um first of all like you know we were sort of going in there expecting to be doing lots of cleaning And the bosses sort of said, well, you know, if it doesn't take off, at least we can get the place spick and span and, you know, ready for relaunch. But um, on the first day, we sort of, (laughs) we turned those machines on and, you know, you you just wouldn't believe how much fried chicken someone wanted to eat at 11 o'clock in the morning. So we were running around, but not only that, I guess, you know, the dynamics of the kitchen had really changed quite a lot because... You know the the job keeper sort of meant that the most senior chefs were essentially working the least, um, given that we were all working for that you know seven hundred and fifty bucks. Um, you know it was sort of the value was pro rata compared to how many hours you could work. So you know some generally the head chefs are all sort of working between you know ten and fifteen hours, but the apprentices of course were could uh, were able to work about forty hours a week. But it just meant that the kitchens weren't you know running as efficiently and, and obviously as dynamic as possible so it just it meant i guess that people like me um ended up you know receiving all the goods and cleaning the fryers and and doing that so i think my my first thought really was okay i'll sort of write all these venues and you know I'll, i won't you know I'll, I'll probably do my one day a week or whatever and um I sort of thought on the way in, well, you know, just because I'm getting paid a lot less money doesn't change the chef who I am and um, that's when I just sort of put my head down and and went for it because it was just a matter of sort of fighting to keep the business alive and uh, making sure that we came out on the other side with jobs still.
1: What were the biggest challenges in the initial stages of that dark kitchen operating given that you had to throw yourself in it so much?
0: Well, I think, you know, obviously – when the businesses first closed down, we were sitting with a lot of debt, you know, a lot of supplier debt. We owed people money, like I guess most businesses did. So essentially we were, you know, trying to make a little bit of money and, you know, pay on a sort of a a cash on delivery basis. So even though we were, you know, quite a large company, we still were faced with the same problems of, you know, a smaller business. So, you know, we were kind of, ordering ordering our supplies and you know just I guess turning the kitchens back on alone we sort of calculated that to turn on a kitchen like Blackbird was going to cost about two or three thousand dollars just in gas and electricity so the running and startup costs were you know quite um big and and sort of paramount to our thoughts on how we were going to do things so you know we started small and started ordering things bit by bit and um, as we, you know, made some money, we were able to work the bills down, and I guess, you know, we had a lot of visa staff and stuff that were out of work too. So, um, you know, we, we were lucky enough; our owners supported those guys and and put them back on the books. So, whilst the job keeper was covering the the full time staff and and the casuals here and there, the the visa staff staff, of course, weren't covered, but we were able to look after them. So, I mean. To be able to – we had our own delivery drivers as well, so we used a, an online platform and we rented scooters so our waiters could actually deliver food, um, which also we had on our website. People were able to order food from the four different cuisines at the same time. So if they did order that, they could um, yeah, have the food delivered to their house. So, yeah, just I guess – you know the different change and dynamics for the chefs that were in the kitchens, and you know ensuring that we still you know had a clean environment to work in, and that the goods were being received. And of course, you know it's not just about the chefs and the waiters. There's a you know there's a big back of house team in the office and stuff as well that you know were out of work. Mm-hmm. So the kind of accounting side of things and the people paying the bills were a bit thin on the ground too. So we had to sort of change the way we. Did that? We sort of, you know, scanned through the e- invoices on a daily basis and ensured they were getting paid as well. Um, so I guess, you know, another challenge would be that the the restrictions, you know, they they kept on swinging around. So, you know, one minute we sort of had a lot of functions and stuff booked, and then, you know, I think the larger functions started to cancel away. Um, and so we lost, you know, would have I been mean, about twenty thousand dollars in revenue. And then the following week it was wow. sixty thousand, and the following week we were closed. So um, it takes a lot for a business of our size to wind down. So you know, it, it's in, in excess of hundred, two hundred thousand dollars just to wind the business down um, to be able to close. So
1: what well, is quite a large group and you employ about 550 people. What how, What was the impact on the staff?
0: Well, I mean, obviously none, no one had ever dealt with something like this before. So everybody was really just quite confused. And I guess, you know, we were sitting in a meeting as the, the senior managers and, you know, the bosses sort of said, well, you know, everybody's still down and we sort of went silent for a while. And I said, including us. And he's like, yeah, including you guys. And Um, we made announcements to the staff and um, we obviously had fridges full of food, like stacked full of food. So we were able to, you know, give out as much food as we could to the staff and we actually packed up a lot of food and took it off to some of our regular guests and things as well. Um, I had people working for me that they ran their own sort of outside catering businesses. So Strangely enough, I had companies calling me and they had stock sort of sitting at the airport, in fact, and um, they weren't able to sell it. So they were just donating, um, like I had some beautiful king salmon that a company donated to me and, and I took it around to my friend's house and he was able to, you know, cook some home-cooked dinners and gave him some lamb shoulders and things and he was able to keep his business alive that way and, and he's still doing that quite successfully now, which is good. Um, and then, yeah, the the visa stuff. I mean, we all sat really, you know, in that sort of the unknown for a few weeks. And then, yeah, then the, the online, the takeaway platform started launching and we were found ourselves more busier than ever then.
1: When the first shutdown happened, do you remember how you felt at that time?
0: Well, I just couldn't believe that, you know, the, the world would never need a chef. I just, I really did think that, you know, my position was, you know, pretty solid and that, you know, there would, you would always need a cook, you would always need restaurants and, um, you know, just it really caught me by surprise. So I, you know, I guess now in hindsight, it's something that I don't take for granted being employed. And um, when you're sort of sitting at home for a little while, just thinking what the future of the industry is going to be, it's, you know, you do contemplate a lot of things. So it was it was pretty pretty frightening and then it still is pretty frightening it's um you know we're constantly having to adjust to to different um you know restrictions and a, a different way of life so you know things have changed and you know the the industry alone has constantly had to you know especially in queensland you know we've had droughts and bushfires and um and and all these type of things that we've constantly had to maneuver so it's it's the pressure really has never been so high it's um you know i think what's being asked of some senior managers and, and chefs like myself is fairly demanding um and you have to be in a good mindset really and try and stay positive to try and ensure that you know we can come through okay
1: how have you dealt with the pressures of this situation i know that you've had your own personal challenges and you've been sober for 12 months uh, what What's this period been like and, and what led you to um, give up drinking over that period of time, the last 12 months?
0: Um, well, I guess, you know, I was a, a young chef. I grew up in country Victoria and moved to Dalesford to work at Lakehouse, you know, just after I turned 18. And I, um, like many of us, traveled to London when I was a bit younger and, and cooked over there. And I just, I really sort of, you know, grew up with that work hard, play hard sort of mentality. Um and sort of, you know, when when I got a bit older and, and had a young daughter, um, you know, you, you that work hard, play hard mentality just doesn't really cut it anymore and I sort of reached the point where I needed to make just some decisions about, you know, my life and my personal health and so gave up the booze uh, 12 months ago and um, yeah, it's been good and I think, you know, during that period, I couldn't imagine doing it any other way. I mean, I, I understand why you know, it's there's certainly been good reason for a drink at the moment, but um for me to be for me to be completely sober, um has been a massive benefit for me because the way I see it, uh every every two or three hours now we're we dealt with a massive blow and um, you know, to be able to keep a good mindset and, and not just for myself, but, you know, there's a lot of people and I, there's a lot of young chefs in my kitchen and a lot of people that um you know, need guidance and stuff through these times. So if I can be in my best sort of physical and mental state, then it really helps those people too.
1: What sort of pressure are you feeling to be that role model for all of your staff? It's such a big group and, you know, you're being forced to look out for everyone and also the business. What's what's it been like for you looking after the younger staff?
0: Personally, I find it very challenging because, you know, I understand where the younger staff have come from. And and it's not just the younger ones. There might be, you know, mothers and things like that whose whose partners have lost their jobs. So, you know, previously pre COVID they were sort of working two days a week and um, you know, suddenly to sort of earn that job keeper they have to, you know, bump up over to, you know, twenty five or thirty hours. So, you know, their kids are sort of no longer in care and um or maybe they're being cared by, by the by the dad and they're working a lot more than they they have before just to sort of make ends meet on their end. So I guess, you know, there's a lot of ones, younger ones that are, you know, it's quite easy to sort of fall into that, you know, work hard and play hard. I mean, as chefs, we, you know, we always work towards, you know, the knockoff drink at the end of the night. And, you know, when, I guess, you know, at this stage, you know, when those knockoff drinks, you know, become, something more than that, or, you know, there's no real rhyme to the reason, then, um, you know, I think it's important to try and keep a level head. So for me, like, I sort of tackle each individual as I can and just, you know, sometimes people need support than others. But, um, yeah, I think that, you know, there is always going to be a way through. It's, you know, not without its challenges, but as long as I'm feeling personally like I can be the best role model for them, then I think that, you know, that, you know, I'm doing the best I can and I'm, I'm happy with that.
1: You might be part of a big group, but you've always been passionate about small producers and quality produce and championing them. How have they been during this time and how have you been involved to help some of the producers that you have on your menus?
0: Well, I mean, you know, they have really always been close to my heart. The, The local producers and you know people I've worked with for you know many years so when the sort of lockdown and stuff happened there was you know producers reaching out to see if there was any way we could help um, them and and vice versa some producers were calling me and um, you know offering me you know to say you know when it was kind of the apocalypse that I'd always have fresh meat for my family and and that sort of thing so that was really nice and um, I guess when I had the opportunity to reopen the restaurants, even at the takeaway level, I sort of looked around to you know what producers I was using and who was perhaps a small producer and needed my support the most. Um, even if I could just put one of their products on, um, such as you know, there's a guy, a local guy here that makes beautiful handmade burrata. Now, if I could put that on my menu, it means that his business can keep on going and you know, even if he gets a 1000 or $2,000 a week, it means his family is going to be able to eat. Um, and so I built my menus based on those producers um, and then everything else fell into place around that.
1: You had to create a whole new business for the takeaway model, but the restaurants have reopened in, in Queensland. What, what's that period of time been like reopening with restrictions?
0: It was definitely challenging because those restrictions were easing overnight, um, you know, sometimes, just recently, of course, on a Friday afternoon, the government announced that people weren't able, able to stand up anymore in a bar, um, which affected things like canopy parties, and of course, there was no drinking and stuff at the bar. So a place like Blackbird, you know, it kind of relies on that, um, people coming in and drinking. So. As soon as you have to seat them, it means you've got a lot more table service and a lot more um, hands on. So, labor starts increasing, and, and of course, sales are down a little bit. Um, so, when we went from the takeaway, as soon as we were able to have 10 people in the venue, well, it was the one person every four square meter rule. So, both Blackbird and Donna Chang are on two levels, of course. So, we have the uh, bar boom boom room underneath Donna Chang. So, as soon as we could do ten people, we, it meant we could do forty people because we did twenty on each level, um, both for lunch and dinner, um, and then we could do that for two sitting. So we could do eighty when that restriction eased. But then, within two weeks, when that became fifty, that meant that we could do closer to you know one hundred and fifty covers if we had sort of restricted seating times, sort of double seatings at lunch and dinner. So it just, to go from the takeaway, we, we still had to continue offering the four cuisines, but we also had to offer, you know, in-house dining for um, uh, Donachang. And, um, yeah, it's it was challenging because we, we, we were doing food that was... Sort of meant for takeaway, but then we also had to keep guests happy in the restaurant. Also, always in the back of my mind, we were, you know, another lockdown was looming. So, you know, the you know the guys and stuff that are in Victoria, um, you know, I really feel for them now because I just I know how challenging that it has been, and um, you know, for what they're having to go through. I mean, I just couldn't imagine, and um, they're just thinking of them at this time really.
1: What's your thoughts on moving forward with restaurants and? Have you been operating differently uh, with Blackbird and Donna Chang than you would have previously? Is the, are the menus quite different? And then moving forward, do you feel that you'll change things up?
0: I've been very reluctant to extend the menus to the offering that we had before the shutdown because the last thing I need is for you know food to be sat in the fridges and you know to be have that debt hanging over us again from having no customers. Um so we kind of launched with a little bit of a simpler menu. Um, it, I mean, I, we cut off a couple of entrees and a couple of mains. Um, of course, Blackbird is quite, you know, known for its big events side, side of things, which really does help balance out the books when it comes to, you know, the wages and things like that and the food costing. So to lose that um, is quite a, you know, a big hit for us. Um, but then again, of course, we're thankful that we're actually able to trade in this time. Um, we we kind of we're in that sort of stop-go situation where you know we create a menu for takeaway, then we create another menu for you know the ten people in house, and then we create a menu for um, the fifty people. So, for instance, Donna Chang it has wood fire grills and things. So you know if you start putting things on the menu where You know, you need to start firing up those grills and say filling the fish tanks with live crayfish and fish. I mean, you have to be really tread carefully to make sure that those um, you're keeping customers happy whilst also not overstocking the venue. So it's just small steps, um, just being careful with what we do and and again, just supporting the producers and uh, making sure that, I guess... That we've got people in jobs and that you know producers are getting paid.
1: You've got uh, multiple venues. Have they been impacted differently uh, even after the after you've opened up again?
0: In Brisbane, I'll talk about Donna Chang and Blackbird, also Biblos. So those venues are really quite big. I mean, you know, in Queensland, we do things big up here. So you know, they have a lot of we have a lot of private rooms and things at say Donna Chang. So whilst, you know, it's not the greatest of scenarios, it did work into our favour when we were able to have, you know, people inside private rooms because Donna Chang has three private rooms alone and Boom Boom Room also has three different private rooms and we could section off the restaurants as well. So um, I guess, you know, the challenge with Donna Chang is the food is all sharing. You know, it's Chinese style food so we have to make sure everyone has their own share cutlery, Um, obviously make sure that there's sufficient spacings between the tables. But, um, so that's kind of worked okay because we hadn't really rehired all the staff. I mean, we hadn't really rehired new staff. We were just running on skeleton staff. Um, So we were busy enough to, you know, to keep us maintained really. Of course, in Melbourne, is a completely different story. They, um, they totally shut down. Um, but what we did in Melbourne was um, we took Biblos, which is, operates out of South Wharf, and we moved that to Le Bon Ton. So Le Bon Ton is an American barbecue, <coughs> excuse me, and we ran two cuisines out of that kitchen. So um, that's how we really sort of dealt with that one. So the Lord of the Wings, which we have three of those venues in Queensland, we actually did two cuisines out of all of those venues. So they were offering Lebanese food and American and quick service restaurants, so burgers and um, chicken wings and, and milkshakes and all that sort of thing. So every venue was sort of, we just tried to do everything we could to ensure when those restrictions eased that we were able to open. So... It just meant that we already had the kitchen, you know, the chefs were in the kitchen, they were, they were working, they were, you know, used to coming to and from work and used to prepping and the kitchens were clean, we'd started paying producers. So, you know, when we got the phone call saying, right, you can do 10 packs now, we, we, we were kind of ready to go, whereas I feel that a lot of restaurants who were unable to open, um, after, especially after three months, uh, it's it's very very challenging to to do that. So whilst it was it was kind of like I was thinking, what the hell are we doing? Like going in there and running four cuisines at the end of that, what had happened. I knew that they'd made the right decision. So you know we're in work now. So that's the main thing.
1: Well, you've had different takeaway models and multiple cuisines at at the different sites as well. How does the takeaway model look for, for the group moving forward, even with the restaurants open?
0: I think that Donna Chang will continue to do some sort of takeaway food in some guys, um, as will Biblos. Uh, Blackbird, I guess, it, it served its purpose because, you know, we were still using the produce and getting the chefs to cook, but it, it probably doesn't hit home as easy as the Chinese food does. So, I mean, it did give us the firepower, really, to always launch back into that the moment that anything does happen. So, you know, while we have all the platforms ready to go, we understand what type of menus and things we need to offer, you know, even the packaging and the way that the the delivery drivers, you know, enter the building and exit the building. And um, it it actually, strangely enough, um, when those like the delivery platforms first went online the docket rail was full so it was the first it was the first time in about two months that I'd just seen a full docket rail and um, you know we were busy again and uh, those dockets weren't just reading um, your Donna Chang food they had a mix of all different cuisines on there so you might be getting a you know corned beef and white mustard sauce from Blackbird with a you know buttermilk fried chicken burger and Some wings and then also a kung pao chicken from Dona Chang all on the same docket. So the communication in the kitchen was sort of (laughs) had to be paramount. And also just getting the things in the bags, like putting all that different cuisines and making sure the food was in the bags um, was, you know, a big challenge. I I think that we're thankful that we went through that period to understand what we can do. Um, But I'm just looking to the future now. I'm just, you know, to be honest, I'm just crossing my fingers that doesn't happen again, but I just, I don't know. At the moment, it seems like Queensland is dodging a bullet, but I don't think, you know, it's not that easy to hide at the moment.
1: What's it like in Brisbane at the moment the Queensland borders are shut and, you know, how important are the interstate and international travellers for venues like yours?
0: Definitely we've lost an element of the business um, like the business people that are coming in for sure. People are in a celebration sort of mode at the moment, so we have a lot of people definitely coming back out to see their families, and um, we've probably lost that you know business businessman sort of Friday lunch type vibe. But certainly the venues are busy, um, and, and they're probably they're definitely busier than we've ever been really during a winter. Tight period, so, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's pretty good up here, like, to be honest, it looks, it's kind of almost like normal, but, um, you know, I'm reluctant to say that because I'm thinking of my brothers and sisters down in Victoria, and, um, you know, I just hope they can come out on the other side.
1: You mentioned earlier that you've never been busier, uh, and you also said, you know, you never thought that being a chef you know, you'd have a problem finding employment or having a job. Uh, Has this experience changed you and perhaps the role that you play as a chef beyond COVID?
0: Um, Yeah, I mean, I appreciated the time that I had home with my family. It was only for about three weeks. So, um, I just, you know, I I really did think that I would never be out of work. You know, I sort of, I've got a good enough resume and, you know, I'm passionate about what I do. So, when you know, when we first sort of heard of COVID and the I guess the Chinese restaurants started closing, although you know, people weren't going there, so they were struggling. I thought I oh, will be okay here. It's it's um you know, we're in the middle of the city and we started getting a couple of bigger groups cancel because Donna Chang of course is Chinese and strangely enough Iblos is actually where the cruise terminal is in in Brisbane. So we started getting people calling up and asking who was on those boats and you know cancelling and that sort of thing so it um yeah it was a little bit sort of frightening I guess at the start but then of course you know the reality set in we didn't have didn't have any customers but yeah I mean I think that you know I don't take my position for granted I think that I have a job to do to ensure that the industry comes out strong on the other side. Um, it's not just about Brisbane, it's about the entire country. Um, and, you know, I don't know exactly what it is I can do right now, but, you know, I'll do everything I can to make sure that the industry for, can bounce back from this in any way.
1: You mentioned that, you know, the circumstances, it was good to find out what you're capable of in regards to a takeaway offering as a, as a company. But you yearn for the restaurants to be back to normal when when the restrictions do ease and it's all back to normal. What what are you most looking forward to?
0: Um I'm just looking forward to you know being able to work with the the producers closely and you know focus on training retraining the the young ones in the kitchens. Um trying to get I guess a good work-life balance which is I think really quite important. Um I think that i've always promoted the hospitality industry as a a rewarding career and you know i still stand by that i just think that you know now we're going through a bit of a rough patch but um i want to sort of ensure that i can do everything i can to make sure that i sort of promote the industry as as a rewarding one and you know a good choice even though now it's um yeah a little bit challenging for people but like i'm still we still have people are enjoying being at work and you know they value their, their role, they value what they're doing a little bit more, and you know it's, it's nice to see that in the kitchen. So, yeah, I think that we need to look each other, after each other and, and you know dining out a lot more and supporting the restaurants and stuff that you know have probably been doing it tough and, and making sure that, yeah, we all look after each other.
1: Well, Jake, you've always been a hard worker, but you've gone to uh, pretty extreme levels during this time. Hopefully things ease off and you can get some time off again. Uh, We've loved having you on Deep in the Weeds. Uh, Please keep in touch and uh, we'll talk again soon.
0: No worries at all. Thanks a lot, Huck. Take care.
1: This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep.